It's a film with three brains. 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 Oh my god, you guys are freaks. Phil? Hey, Phil? Phil? Phil Connors? Phil Connors, I thought that was you. Uh, how you doing? Thanks for watching. Hey, hey. Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me, because I sure as heck fire remember you. Not a chance. <laughs> Ned Ryerson! Needle-nosed Ned, Ned the head. Come on, buddy, Case Western High. Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Ned Ryerson got the shingles real bad senior year, almost didn't graduate. Bing! Again! Ned Ryerson, I dated your sister Mary Pat a couple times till you told me not to anymore. Well? Ned Ryerson? Bing! Bing! <laughs> so did you turn pro with that belly button thing, Ned, or uh, No, what? Phil, I sell insurance. What a shock. Do you have life insurance? Because if you do, you could always use a little more. Am I right or am I right or am I right? Right, right, right. Ned, I would love to stand here and talk with you, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> See? Hey, that's all right. I'll walk with you. God! It is so good to see you. Uh, what are you doing for dinner? Uh, something else. It's been great seeing you, Needlehead. Take care. <laughs> Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Film with Three Brains. This is Sean in Chicago. And this is Cohen in Maplewood, New Jersey. And Sam in San Francisco, and if I lie, my nose will grow. Pinocchio in San Francisco. Cool. Nice. Um, we are going to talk about the Groundhog Day over and over and over. Um, no, we're just <laughs> going to talk about it once. But it uh, is a night. It's a movie from 1993. I, most people have seen it or should see it because it's pretty good. Um, Harold Ramis made it with Bill Murray. And Eddie McDowell's in there. Um, yeah, I have seen it. The The one thing I noticed um, watching it was that, and Cohen, and we've, we've talked about this with other movies, like when even you know what the lines are coming, it still makes you laugh. I think that's, that's what really uh, stands out for me is I can watch this endlessly. Uh, I want, you know, I watch it every year, but um yeah, I don't know. It just it's comforting and it's fun pretty much every time I see it and I yeah. and I think even this time I've I've gleaned something new from it. But uh what y'all think about it this time? I uh, haven't you go ahead. I think this is the second time I've ever seen this movie. What? Really? Which That's seems crazy. weird because I associate this movie with you, Sean, and have you I think watching it a lot and so maybe saw bits <laughs> and parts multiple times but i really honestly don't think i watched it all the way through more than once until this was the second um so much so that a lot of it i didn't remember at all Mm. so um i enjoyed it i i definitely have some questions for you um (laughs) no like for me or the for the movie for you about the like what 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 it is that draws you personally to the movie and yeah. and you know because we all have our our little pet favorite movies you know and and i've picked some of mine and like there's things about them i love like you, you know the for for 
um, uh, you know, confusing things like like Twelve Monkeys, things like that, where where yeah. you don't know what's going on. I love that that sense of mystery mm-hmm. and it all falling together. Like that's something that that's gonna you know like get me every time as to to say okay, this movie's better than others because it has that. Um, you know, so for you, what is it about? This movie, and you don't mm-hmm. have to answer it now. We can hear Cohen's thoughts first, but uh, I do definitely want to hear what it is that makes one of your favorite picks here. I'll just um, give that a once over with it's not one thing, uh, but yeah, we will get to bits and pieces of it. Cohen, what, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. Like, I thought I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen it, only meaning I'm pretty sure I've seen it at least two or three times. But it's been a long time because as I was watching it, there were scenes happening I didn't remember at all. Hmm. Uh, most of the whole second half of the movie it was very sort of hazy. I was like, what? Really? I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't remember that. And I've also I've come to the conclusion that I've seen the first probably like half hour a million times. It's just oh. the the rest of it I don't think I've seen that many times. So everything up until like day three is all super familiar and fresh in my brain. And then everything after was like, oh, you know, it was just moments I remembered here and there in mm-hmm. a moment here, a moment there. And the rest of it, like, I don't, I mean, like, I didn't remember how dark it gets, mm-hmm. you know, and some of that stuff. And I didn't, I didn't really remember how it ended. I knew sort of vaguely how it ended. I don't remember specifically. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's really funny and it's, you know, it's pretty heartfelt mm-hmm. for the, you know, as it, as it gets going, you know, as it picks up steam and sort of explores what, what it means to, you know, what this means for him. And, you know, I like the, I like that it gets dark, you know, that he tries to off himself a few times or who knows how many times <laughs> because living that, you know, when he says why, you know, when he's describing that day. Uh, on the beach, you know, and he's like, why couldn't I let you live that day? That was a pretty good day, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I think the main reason that I find it really fascinating is the, the idea of, <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's probably the procrastinator in me. I think it's the, <laughs> the idea that I have as much time as i want to explore you know i mean obviously you're in one town one podunk town but you get to do you get to make as many mistakes as you want i think the whole concept is uh i mean there's there are other movies that have done this this kind of conceit but but very few that have done it this well yeah well i was trying to think if there was any if this is the first and i think it is I couldn't think of anything before it. Yeah. You know, a person reliving the same day. I, I mean, it's quite possible that, you know, there might be like a Twilight Zone episode or something or another movie that predates it, but I couldn't think of any. Um, there was uh, one later in 1998 that, that's pretty similar, but I can't even remember what it's called. Um, I mean, there's the Edge of Tomorrow that we all like. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, the butterfly effect, I think, spawned yeah. a whole bunch. Now there's, like, Happy Death Day and all these things. Oh, yeah. Happy Death Day is pretty good. Is it? Yeah. yeah. The sequel stinks, though. 
Yeah. Uh, and there so, was a series called Russian Doll on Netflix that's pretty good too. There's actually there's an action movie version of this called Boss Level on Hulu that's awesome. Boss Level is really good. <laughs> is it um, I was good. really surprised how much I liked that movie. <laughs> wow. um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, there was. Uh, if both of you guys agree, I got to see this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I mean, there are different things that have loops. You know, Primer had a loop. Uh, Run mm-hmm. Lola Run had a loop. Oh, that's what I was trying Source to Source code had a loop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I like Primer. I think, you know, I, I'm still waiting for there to be more in, in indie sci fi movies. I've, I've, you know, they're slowly growing in number. And yeah. Um, so I'm always, always rooting for people to make more of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't think of, um, anything earlier too that was one of the things that as soon as i wa- started watching i started thinking like is this the first one is, is you know is this i, I couldn't find there's it also, earlier there's a like a horror-ish movie called triangle from 2009 that's really good too that is basically sort of groundhog day-ish uh that, that was a good one i like that movie but yeah i I've, I, I found a list that that has something called 1201 yeah yeah i think i've seen that and it's the same year 1993 um it's got the guy from uh weekend at bernie's uh, uh jonathan <laughs> whatever his name is silverman silverman thank you mm-hmm. um it says the short story on which it's ba- da- uh, based is like 20 years before but the movie itself is the same. Came out the same year. Yeah, well, yeah. There's so it was. People thought that Groundhog Day was inspired by a book or a story, and Harold Ramis said no. I forgot what it was called. Well, it was. I mean, okay, it was loosely <laughs> inspired by a story. It was loosely inspired by uh, Anne Rice's uh, Vampire Lestat. <laughs> um, I think that's great. That it. Yeah, I mean, that, so the, the you know the the original writer Danny Rubin was was you know. The, thinking about that book and how immortality, what would you do with your time was limited since, but as he kind of twisted around his brain, he's like, okay, it's just going to be the same day over and over. Mm-hmm. And I, I, when I watched this, I was like, you know, this would be really cool if it was the same week over and over. Cause think of once you realize what that was, what you could do in a week, like you, cause <laughs> you could get anywhere in a world in a day, you know, you can be anywhere else, you know, you mean yeah. like this week I'm going to explore Egypt, you know, like, you could do it like yeah you know kind i think that some you know sometimes films get so carried away with that and i'm going to use the example of limitless that silly Mm -hmm. yes drug Mm -hmm. movie that you think of all the possibilities they could have done and they went with the stock market and you know so while i agree that it would have been kind of fun to, to see how far he could have gone or how many hijinks he could have could have done i also appreciate that the extent of his like thievery is timing when to grab a bag of cash, you know, <laughs> when Felix turns yeah. his back and, you know, they drop a bunch of quarters and he grabs <laughs> yeah. a big bag of cash out of a truck, you know, it's, that's it. Like that's his whole life of crime. I mean that, and obviously he, he uses it to, to seduce some women real quick or, you know, that's, um, I, apparently that, that was in the original idea of the movie, but, um, yeah, I think I think that the it's it seems scattershot, but it's not. I mean, I think that the whole the whole movie is like a is tension between um, kind of a, a 
a story, like a, a linear story, and then having somebody like Bill Murray who's going to riff and kind of do what he wants. I, I shouldn't say the story. I mean, the, the movie-making part of it is the tension between... And the tension between Harold Ramis and Bill Murray themselves for similar reasons. That, that Harold Ramis is the director. He, he has, you know, a storyboard. He has ideas about how he wants to shoot a scene. And then you give Bill Murray, who famously never does the same line twice. You know, he just does different takes and he, and he just is very creative in the way he approaches it from what I understand. Yeah. So I think that's part of why it works so well because you can't do too much of either. You know, if it was too, too, too much of a straightforward story and, you know, based on, on just outcomes, like just like, you know, you're curious about what, what does happen, but at the same time, you're, you're really just concerned about when is he get out of this? How does he get out of this? When does he get out of this? So I like the way the the flow is sort of like, or like the suicide, you know, the, the, the various ways he dies mm-hmm. after the first one, which is drawn out are happen pretty quickly because it's sort of like, well, you know, we get it, you know, we don't have to see every single outcome. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the theory is this is like 10,000 days, right? More or less. I mean, it's gotta be a lot. He learns how to play piano really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's, you know, Harold Ramis has said he, he always thought it was around 10 years, but then later he said that that's not long enough. And um, there's a website called whatculture.com that sort of figured it out based hmm. on certain assumptions, like how long it takes to do this, do that. You know, Days actually mentioned in the movie and they sort of worked it all out um, that it was probably 12,395 days, which is about 30. <laughs> It's about um, it's almost 34 years. <laughs> very specific number. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give or take three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, it, I got a question for you, Sean. Okay. What's this movie really about? Well, I don't think it. I don't think it's really a love story. I, even though it definitely is a romantic comedy, and definitely his focus. And, you know, we're going to go full spoilers as we usually do. So if you haven't seen it yet, turn this off, go see it. Um, that the, the way he gets out of it is through love, but not necessarily because of his love for her, but really his love for himself. You know, it's made very clear. He hates himself. He, you know, doesn't, he's very bitter. He's, you know, like the, he has to be at a really bad place to start with to have that much growth. Yeah. So it's really it's really when he be, beca- start, sort of becomes interested in his own life mm-hmm. that he starts getting out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I, I remember having a argument slash discussion in college as you know much like we would have had, <laughs> um, <laughs> and. I think it was my friend Jerry or something, but we were talking about how long it takes to produce something great, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and my, my take was, you know, if I had 10,000 days and maybe we were even talking about this movie, I don't know if I had 10,000 days, I could make something along the lines of, you know, a symphony like Beethoven did or something, you know, I, I mean, that was very grandiose sort of claim. I was like, yeah, if I had a limitless number of days, you know, if, if we didn't, you know, if we were immortal, then we could accomplish a lot. And, and, uh, you know, assuming it was Jerry, he said, you're, you're nuts. You know, this is more about innate talent. Like certain things 
you just can't do, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, he's a good play, baseball player. He's like, you know, if I, if you, there's plenty of people that you gave him all the time in the world, they're never going to be a good baseball player. I'm like, yeah, to, to an extent, but maybe they could find a certain position they're really good at or something, you know, they'd figure it out, you know, like kind of like the 10,000, the monk, 10,000 monkeys making Shakespeare or something, mm-hmm. which is given enough time. Right. A lot is possible. Well, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell claims, you know, in his book, the one book that 10,000 hours to master anything. Uh, Just to cut in here, Malcolm Gladwell was going off of research actually done in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was not, not his claim, but he did bring it to everybody's face or... Years, sorry, eyes. popularized by Mel yes. Gladwell's book. Is that the Outliers? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. So, so no, I mean that's you know. the whole thing. That's what, as I was saying with the piano. You know, it's like you need you know ten thousand hours, which you know give or give or take is is true. Um, you know, and and you read the book, and they say, okay, a surgical residency is is five years long and you're working way more than 40 hours a week. Like you get your 10,000 hours and how to, how to do stuff. Um, you know, and he points that out to all sorts of training. So yeah, if you, the, the thing, okay. The thing about that is, is that a lot of people are born and from the age 20 onward have that 10,000 hours to do it. So mm-hmm. it's, so you have to, it's more than just putting in the time, mm-hmm. you know, and he put in the time to do all sorts of things, um, you know, and I clearly put, had to put in a lot of time to play the piano really well. Um, he did just play one song, though. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> you're right. He could. <laughs> you got really um, good at that song. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how many taken. hours you can shave off if you're like, I'm just learning one thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you know? No, I don't know that song. I don't know anything else. <laughs> Sorry. That would be kind of nice. <laughs> right. Well, what happens the next day then when, when she's like, oh, play me a song on the piano. He's like, I only know one. It's like, she's like, that just seems inconceivable. <laughs> like, well, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I want right, to see the, the sequel. Where is this going? <laughs> the, uh, so Danny Rubin, I read a little bit about how he, um, I think he wrote a book about writing the, the movie and pitching it. Uh, was actually supposed to, his agent told him that this was going to, he was going to use this as a springboard. Like just, he wrote a spec script and this was the way he got his foot in the door for mm-hmm. other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't really selling this. He was just selling himself. Yeah. And then uh, he brought it to another agent and he said, I don't want it, but I'm, let me give it to my client. And his client was Harold Remus. So that's how that started. But when he started his, his first script starts during like it, there's no pre, pre prelude it's just clock starting and then there's a whole bunch of voiceover which sounds awful hmm. um but his can you know he uh i'll just i'll just cut to the quick here so he at the end in his first version the voiceover and the whole time loop switches to her to, to Andy McDowell's character. And then she's like, well, I wasn't really into him, but, and then she, you know, she was, or she, I wasn't really looking for love, but, and then it takes her a long time to, I think it ends with her time loop going forward. Kind of a non-ending, which they obviously did not like, and they got rid of it pretty quick. And then an assistant 
um, producer, Whitney White or something, uh, came came up with, uh, well, we'd really like to see the before so we can see his reaction to all this. You know, we don't want to start right in the middle of it. And they all went, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what really, that's when it really took shape. It was like, okay, we got, we have a beginning. Um, you know, they changed various things. They had extra scenes that they didn't use. And the most interesting thing to me was that, that he had, you know, he could have gone with an indie, they list like IRS pictures or something like that. And they were going to give him like 3 million or he can go to Columbia pictures and they, you know, they had about 15 million budgeted for him, something like that, but he would have less creative control and you'd obviously have Harold, Harold Ramis, who's going to do some rewrites and all that. And he went that way. And I'm glad he did because, you know, that first version didn't sound very good to me. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but he, he realized that he was going to, it was going to change. He was, and what he was dreading was the studio finally saying, well, what's the deal? Like what, you know, is it a, is it the, is it God? Is it the universe? Is it, you know, and to get them off their back, they went with uh, a gypsy curse. So like, well, it's, it's an ex-girlfriend that put a curse on him. And, and they, according to this synopsis of the book or whatever, it's that that was actually um, perfect because there's really no need to explain that or to put that in, you know, it's just there. It's just the idea. And then I think they, you know, slated it to be shot at the very end. It just kind of got, got them off their back. Yeah. And then they just never put it in. <laughs> it just never came in, which is perfect because I mean, I remember, I do kind of remember the first time I saw it, um, in the theater, I knew nothing about the movie. Um, my uh, college girlfriend and I went to, you know, had a date night, went, saw it, loved it. But I do remember kind of, um, wondering like, you know, like, well, what the heck is going on? Are we going to find out? And then at some point you just sort of forget. You're just like, well, I don't know. Maybe I guess yeah. you don't really care. And, I, and yeah, ultimately I think that's, that's, that's perfect because what, what good explanation could there possibly be? I can't think of one. Yeah. A satisfactory, you know, one that would be like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so funny that the studio executives were pushing for that and they, they were, they were totally expecting that. But, but at the same time, they were just like, how do we get around this or through this? And, you know, I, I imagine most movies go through the same thing. Like the, somebody's like, well, but we don't want to confuse John Q public here. Right. You know, mm -hmm. that, that it, you know, it, debate. It, this is the sort of thing where I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for a really great explanation for shit like this. I love a really great explanation and I really hate bad ones. Yeah. So I'm always of the mind that unless you have a really clever, interesting explanation, then just don't explain it. You know, like a curse is, to me is bland and you're better off just leaving that out, you know? Mm hmm. Because it doesn't affect the story. It has to. It has to make the story better, or more interesting. Right. Otherwise, you don't need it. When it's fantastical, you know. Yeah. There's some very vague reference to God. You know, when he's trying to save the old man, mm -hmm. and he can't. He just can't do whatever. What nobody. What he tries, he can't save this. This. Mm -hmm. This man. This homeless. Well, presumably homeless. This guy that he finds. This older man, and you know, then he talks. You know is uh reciting Chekhov on camera and he's talking, you know, he, uh, 
in one in one scene, you talk his one of the poems he reads is you know only God can make a tree. You know, there's sort of the, the there's oblique references to God, but not sure. not direct references. Not like oh God, why did you put why did you put me through this? Or mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't really look for answers outside of himself or the town. Yeah, I like, I like that too. You know, he doesn't, and I and um, according to some of the stories, that that's part of what. Uh, Harold Ramis and, and Bill Murray were, were kind of at odds about. Yeah, it's you know what's interesting is is that when you read about that, you read about these different people pulling in different directions. You know, Ruben wanting his original script, Ramis wanting this to be a comedy, um, Bill Murray thinking, no, this is a more contemplative or philosophical, uh, philosophical film. And then the the studio, of course, wanting everything just wrapped up and neat and tidy for you know the average idiot. Um, you know, those are four di- very different directions, and to to get where they got, and really, it came out perfectly. You know, for for knowing that if one person pulled too hard, it could wreck this. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Because, yeah, he, they don't, it, go back to Cohen's point, they don't try to explain it. They don't try to over-explain it. They don't try to over-analyze it. At some point, he's just, you know, that that's the turning point of the movie when he just realizes, like, hey, this is just my chance to be me. And, you know, I, you know one of the things that they, they um, that Harold Ramis had talked about was that he was, um, you know, kind of basing how the movie's going to, how, how Bill Murray's character is going to progress on the, the stages of grief. And, you know, the, mm-hmm. the initial denial and and then ultimately to, you know, the mm-hmm. anger and ultimately to acceptance and that. And you and you and in hindsight, you're like, oh, yeah, they did do that. Like it, it plays out well, you know. And that. so, yeah, it's 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 one of those, you know, we, we always reference the lightning in the bottle and you realize, like, wait a second, there were a lot of different storm clouds that made this <laughs> one bolt of lightning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe this is a time for me to throw my new, my new, obs- well, new, obs- new to me anyway. Um, even though I've seen it a lot, the <laughs> I was watching this scene, you know, when he, the first day, uh, the loop hasn't started yet. He's talking to, um, Mrs. Lancaster, the, the, uh, Ben breakfast o- owner. And, um, she says, "There's talk of a blizzard," and then he and then he sh- he turns around and he and he lights up and he talks about the weather. He's like, he goes into his <laughs> weatherman mode. And he's like, "It's gonna accumulate and you know cause what we call snow. You know, it's gonna be teens tonight." You know, he just he just does his whole spiel and he does it with. I mean, obviously, we kind of kind of without thinking, but also he does it really well. And yeah. so my new pet theory is that that is part of why he went through this. I mean, not, I'm not trying to find the reason that he, or what caused it, but, I, but the, you know, as far as meaning, like this is as good as any, like that he was a weatherman that he's actually good at his job, but he hated it. He hated doing it. He obviously hated, you know, he hated it because he thought it was kind of beneath him or, you know, he didn't, he hated, mm-hmm. you know, thought they were all hicks. He didn't want to go to this small town. He didn't, he didn't like anything small time. He wanted to be big time. Um, but I also think that he didn't that's not what he was meant to do. You know, mm-hmm. like he, you know, we all think that we are, I don't say we all, but some of us think that we've, there's one thing that we should be doing. And, and some of us are lucky enough to find that and do it. But what about 
when you are good at something, but you really hate it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it occurred to me that maybe that's mm -hmm. why, you know, like he, he's the perfect weatherman, but he hates being the weatherman. And so he, yeah, he learns French, he plays piano, he does all these things over time. Actually, when, you know, when he gets over himself and goes through his stages of, you know, and he, he becomes something, he, he finds, he starts like figuring out more about himself and, mm -hmm. you know, that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if, if someone sees him in a, a you know, in a crappy station doing weather because that's not who he is. And I think that's part of what resonates me with me too, is that I don't think that you can be good at your job, but it doesn't have to define who you are. Mm -hmm. And even worse, if it's something you hate to do, why are you doing it? Yeah. So that's my new theory. <laughs> that's a good one. I I like to think of this movie as sort of a uh, an exploration of what it means to be selfish, and then mm. what it means to be selfless. So like, you take this incredibly selfish human, who, you know, only cares about himself on the surface. That's not really what selfishness is. Not truly. And is thrust into the situation where he's enti entirely isolated. You know, he can't know anybody for more than a few hours, so he's alone. And he it's over the course of, let's say it is, you know, however many years, he, he sort of explores, he has to, he's forced to explore sort of every nook and cranny of who he is, you know, and what makes him him. And, and you know, so for me, this movie is about, you know, a selfish person becoming selfless or, you know, learning who they are and becoming and realizing they are not the center of anything at all. Mm. And so, and being okay with that. So like, you know, the, the turning point for me is when is the sequence with the old man and trying, and he's slowly learning what it means to care about someone other than himself to no avail, you know, anyway, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's, that's not a very concise theory or anything. It's just sort of what I think about when I watched it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I thought I, I felt like the love story ends up being in there because that's what the movie maker, the not the mm -hmm. movie makers, the the movie industry would want, right? You know that that's what the that's what the big filmmakers would want because right. because really he's learning about who he is he should be, you know, to mm -hmm. pursue the things that make him happy, to do things that make other people happy. Um, Mm -hmm. you know. and, and once he does it, then he is truly able to sort of, sort of experience another person on a, you know, on a, on an honest level, which is then where Andy McDowell comes in. I think, you know, up until then she's sort of irrelevant, you know, she just yeah. becomes, she becomes the person that he ultimately, um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't even realize anything. There's nothing to be realized. It's just, it just happens. You know, he, he, he finally sees another person, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. without it being about him. Yeah. yeah. And then I think that's too, what breaks the, the thing, you know, yeah. not, it's not necessarily love exactly. Although I guess that's part of it. It's, you know, being able to selflessly engage with another human. Well, he even without does it want, with without Elliot. trying to get anything out of it. You yeah, know? he doesn't sleep with her, which is the the right. smartest move they made. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, to to have her stay and not sleep is was brilliant because you don't want to think that it was the sex mm -hmm. that breaks the loop. Um, but also, mm -hmm. he, you know, that same morning, he, he you know he 
he brings Chris Elliott his, you know, favorite cup of coffee and he watches, you know, he even watches which, which donut, you know, which, which sweet roll he takes, you know, like his little mental note of <laughs> mm-hmm. what is he like? Pastry like? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so... Yeah. And I, they do a good job, you know, to me, uh, part, of, part of me was, is, when I was done watching it, I was like, I was like, should they have made him meaner at the beginning to make the transition more obvious? And then I was like, no, it's like, this is, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, like, you know, Bill Murray's a good character for it and, and does, you know, I don't know if you guys read about the other people that they had in, in mind and, mm-hmm. and you know Tom Hanks being one of them they're like and they're like it can't be Tom Hanks because everyone knows he's a good guy they're just they're going to be waiting for that change to happen you yeah. know yeah like you can't start off with Tom Hanks being a the bad guy you know what you know so yeah yeah the I thought that that he he played it well yeah I mean Chevy Chase was considered he I mean I guess we we know now that he's kind of kind of mean in, in real life um uh steve martin john travolta i mean bill murray has the has the ability to do both and be believable at both um, yeah i think i mean i think mm-hmm. i he like he can be melancholy and you know do the depressive thing really well like when he <laughs> when he yeah when he is killing himself so much and he just keeps waking up at six, in his bed at 6 a.m and he has that he does the same line, you know, he does it, he does it, you know, really happy when he, uh, I think he gets arrested and he wakes up and he's like, he's not in jail. He's so happy. He's like, don't forget your booties because it's cold outside. And then he does the same line. Mm-hmm. Don't forget your booties because it's cold. Out. You know, it's, it's cold out there every, you know, he does it so well, believably, you know, I, I don't know. I can't, it's hard for me to see anybody else do doing this. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but I feel like he was perfect for it. I agree. Did you guys notice any double ups? Mm, yes. Mm. I mean, well, I only noticed one, but the interns probably found a few. Well, didn't we? Um, didn't we talk about Ned? Uh, oh wait, no, we talked about Ned Ryerson. Because of the sign. sign. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Who did we have? I gotta say. uh, Rick do, do, uh, common. Yeah. Gus. He, yeah. He is, I'm pretty sure he's a double up. Although now I can't remember from what. Is he, um, He's not one of He's the in Die Hard. He's one of the yeah, city right. Oh. He's in Die Hard. That's it. Yeah. But what is who is um, who is the actor we're talking or who's the character we're talking about? He was one of the the two drunk guys. The two drunk guys. Oh yeah. yeah. So he's Gus. he's right. He's the guy in the shutting down the power grid in Die Hard. Yeah. He's, yes. he's in the manhole. He's like, yeah. I can do it from here. It's it's right here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Um, it's not a double up. At least I don't think so. But the biggest shock for me was seeing, um, you know, the, the young couple getting married. Oh, yeah. Michael she, Shannon. Yeah. Seeing Michael That's Shannon. Crazy. I was like, what? And I was yeah. like, and he's normal? And just. Yeah. <laughs> I know. He looks so normal. I mean, it looks yeah. like him, but he looks so normal. Yeah. It just, it, it really messed with my brain. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it hard to reconcile that. that. 
I mean, I've seen it so many times, but even when I saw it, I, w- I kept doubting myself. I mean, you'd think I would, <laughs> I guess I was pretty lazy because I never looked it up. And then I finally did like, oh, yeah, it's really him. I mean, he's, he's very young, but you can tell it's his face. Yeah. He doesn't sound the same, but. Yeah. Yeah. For me, he's, you know, he's the movie bug. You know, if, I don't know if you guys have ever. The other guy is a double up too, though. The other. The yes. Other the other, we'll come back to that. What's bug about? Isn't it, isn't it bug where he's the, yes. the schizophrenic, well, not schizophrenic, yeah. he breaks, he jumps into these people's house and whole, whole or hotel, motel room. And he, and he says that there's this infestation. You got to close all the doors and he's, he's just absolutely crazy the yeah. whole time. <laughs> um, seriously, it's, it's the, it's a sort of, you watch the movie and you're like, how did you have this sort of crazy energy? to to make this movie to to do this for so long and it's it's a low budget movie it's like it's sh- yeah. shot in like one little room for the most part and mm-hmm. the question and you're 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 constantly questioning like is this guy crazy or is it real are there really some like you know bugs out there <laughs> All that. um yeah anyway it's and it makes you itchy <laughs> great it's very effective no the i mean i think that yeah. that movie yeah. to me is what probably launched his career even though he did some stuff before that but yeah i think once I he played that so. character they're like oh this guy can play the you know because he's been kind of a crazy ruthless guy um you know he was hunting down the uh what's the cyclist movie the so um, R- rush so premium, premium rush, rush. Yeah. yes you know he's just crazy in there and then yeah. he was in that thing with um oh he's the hitman the mob guy he's got the normal marriage have you guys seen that one um, it's based i think on a true story yeah is that the Iceman one yes uh, okay yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, and then we saw him in Midnight Special. But yeah, when I saw mm-hmm. him here, Midnight it was just like at, yeah. at South by Southwest, he's the mm-hmm. dad who's obsessed with protecting his kid who has some sort of like, a, I don't know, almost uh, a close encounter of third kind, uh, supernatural, yeah. like got to go meet with the aliens sort of thing mm-hmm. going on. Anyway, very intense. And to see yeah. him be normal was yeah. like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> to see him just smile. Yeah, <laughs> he's in. Um, he's in. Um, have you guys seen that show, uh, Nine Perfect Strangers? Is that what it's called? Mm, nope. Um, where he plays a really normal. Yeah, Nine Perfect Strangers. It's. I think is it on HBO. It's a miniseries with Nicole Kidman and a bunch of other people. But he plays just a regular, normal, like husband and father, hmm. like just a family man guy. It's. It's really odd to see him be so normal. Yeah, <laughs> because he is so he always cast in such odd and intense roles, and here he's sort of just very easygoing and, and you know, yeah, and he smiles to, and and yeah. he's like unsure of himself, and you know he fumbles and stuff, and it's just <laughs> it's interesting. He does it well. <laughs> yeah, he's a good actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think of him at like The Shape of Water. You know, he's he plays yeah. that intense bad guy really well. But mm-hmm. I like him like Mr. Green with the the night before comedy, the um, Seth Green. Oh and, yeah, yeah. You know, he's he's the mysterious Seth Rogen. 
what did I say? Seth Green. Seth Green. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Seth Rogen. Sorry. Sorry, Seth Rogen. Um, yeah. I mean, it's played for comedy, but he's but he's still very intense. Like this. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Whew, we went off went off on a Michael Shannon tangent there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the other double up is uh, Rick Overton, who has a small role in Beverly Hills Cop. He's the friend of Gus. Right. Uh, Harold Ramis, have we covered him at all? Not directly, no. I guess. Is that all? Brian Doyle Murray, is he in anything? We've talked about him, but I don't think we've done anything. I don't think so. I mean, he's in a lot of stuff. I don't think he's in anything we've covered yet. Yeah. Hmm. I, so, this is a pretty um, local movie for me. Um you know, as the crow flies, because it's filmed in Woodstock. We were actually just, we passed through there last summer and I took a couple pictures. Um, hasn't ch- the, the, that downtown square hasn't changed very much. I mean, <laughs> some of the stores have, of course, I didn't, True. I didn't have enough time to like, we were, we were just kind of, we were literally driving through. So I just did like a spin around the block, the square, um, you know, and then they, the, the quarry is where he drives the truck off is, uh, West and, Rockford, which is just a little, yeah, a little further west. I used to live in Rockford. And somewhere in the IMDb trivia... Does. Says, oh, really? Yeah. The trivia says that they went with sort of a... um, What do you call it? A bleak Wisconsin look. <laughs> and I wondered if they, you know... If they... Where they came up with that. Because, you know, it's not... None of it is... It's close to the border, but it's not in Wisconsin. It's all in... There's a, even the, they had a, um, a warehouse where they shot the interior of the, his, his room anyway. And that was in Cary, Illinois. So I don't know. I'm not sure what the Wisconsin has to do with, with anything, but. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was just kind of gray and that slushy cold water off the edge of the curb. Kind of reminded me of Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, the weather. That's, that's probably very Wisconsin. <laughs> yes, that's true. It says the uh, the Tip Top Cafe is is now a Mexican restaurant in Woodstock. So, so yeah, it's pre- you know, it's pretty um, unusual for them to shoot on location for the whole time. Nothing in L.A. Nothing, you know. No, it's winter. It's winter. I guess you gotta shoot someplace cold. This is true. Oh, I just read. Did you guys read Michael Keaton turned down the the role because it was too confusing? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <I saw> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I also like the comment of Bill Murray when you know when when uh, Harold Ramis was kind of describing this scene. Oh yeah. To him, and he was like, well, "Do you want good Phil or bad Phil? Just tell me that." <laughs> <laughs> So they, they had their falling out over this, or while yes. filming this movie. Yes. Though I don't really know. Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't find anywhere where either of them talks about what it is. I mean, it sounds like creative differences as far as, like, how comedic, it, you know, that I mentioned before versus how, you know, contemplative, you know, you wanted it to be. But yeah. it just seemed like a really weird thing. And then someone put out the theory that, um, that, that, Bill Murray felt like he couldn't be, you know, that his success was so tied to Harold Ramis that he he wanted to 
kind of, you know, distance himself from him. But I'm like, that's not a reason not to talk to someone for 20 years. No. You know, but I don't, I don't know that anything could have happened other than like, you know, Harold Ramis killing his firstborn, you know, <laughs> that you would not talk to someone for 20 years, especially when they reach out to you later, which yeah. according to the stories uh, Harold Ramis did, and it wasn't until he was dying that uh, Bill Murray decided to let whatever bygones right. be bygones. Yeah, that's good that they they did that before he, before he passed. Um, I read one explanation that Harold threw him against a wall. And which seems like, eh, okay, maybe. Maybe he had a reason. But then I noticed that he, that's part of the movie. Like when he comes out of the, this, the second day, I think he's already freaking out. And uh, he's like, hey, you have to see the groundhog? And he slams that guy from Herman's head into the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, did they use an actual event in the movie? Maybe, you know, I've not read that, but it just occurred to me that mm-hmm. that, that does happen. And so if that's true, I mean, <laughs> I would imagine it was probably done. I mean, I, I don't know. It's probably a, a number of things, but I'm sure it was it was more petty things than it was mm-hmm. big, like. Right. Well, they said, you know, the conflict. thing I read said that Bill Murray is going through a pretty bitter divorce. Right. And w- and they weren't seeing eye to eye on the tone of the film. And Harold Ramis said Bill Murray was being uncharacteristically sort of just like mean to everybody. And was oh, late. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm sure all these things just sort of bubbled up until they came to a head, you know. Did you, I didn't read this recently, but I remember a story about Bill Murray getting, they said you have to have a, production assistant um what did he i think he made he he got he's like all right well i want to have someone who knows sign language he was being just difficult for the sake of being difficult Mm -hmm. and so he he got someone who knew sign language (laughs) and then they never did it they never had anything to do like he didn't use sign language but he (laughs) i'm messing up the story it doesn't make any sense but suffice it to say he was such a dick that you know, he, some poor production assistant had to sit around do, doing nothing. <laughs> There's some, he made up some reason for needing sign language on the set, but mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of various stories around the whole thing because yeah, they were such a pair and they had such a history together Yeah. that it's, it's, yeah, it's too bad that they didn't do, do more like this. I mean, I know that, that when he was when they're doing Caddyshack, that's Harold Ramis's first film. So I don't think I don't I think he let anything fly. Yeah, you know. And by this time, I don't you know I think now he's a ser- kind of a serious director. You know, he's done enough stuff with with some success that he deserves a little bit of respect. You know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a shame. I, I don't, I don't really care. I don't really need to take sides or any of that. It's just sort of like more interesting from a personal yeah. level. I think it's interesting that Harold Ramis never directed a very good movie after the after this. Yeah, that is. You know, he he sort of came out of the gate with Caddyshack and Vacation. Club Paradise kind of sucked, and they did this, and then after that, it's just kind of garbage. Yeah, I guess you could say Analyze This was pretty good, but... That was a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But other than that, 
Like, Stuart saves his family? What the hell? Why? <laughs> is, is that Martin Short? No, it's no. Uh, it's uh, uh, Al Franken. Stuart Smalley. Oh. The Saturday Stuart Night Live Smalley. character. Yes. Okay. Probably the least deserving of a feature film of any Saturday Night Live character. <laughs> That's odd. Yeah, they made some weird spin-off Saturday Night Live movies. Yeah. You know, Night at the Roxbury. I mean, some people like uh Super is it Superstar? Who's the one with Yeah. <laughs> Molly Shannon. Molly Shannon. That's, you know, it's pretty yeah. good, but but some of them are just bizarre. Yeah. And there's a lot of them too. I mean, it's Pat. Does that need a movie? That's a no. movie? Yeah. Yeah. What? It's because Wayne's World made all the money in the world. It made so much money that they're like, all right, we just have to basically make all of our stupid things into movies now. <laughs> right. Not that Wayne's World was the first, but it certainly was the most successful. Hmm. I mean, Coneheads? Come on. Yeah, Coneheads. I mean, I mean, they made the ladies' man into yeah. a movie? Why? <laughs> they're just loyalty they're like well let's give these guys their their payday because I, I, yeah, I, 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 I will say i think mcgruber is pretty goddamn funny <laughs> oh, i still haven't seen that it cracks me up neither <laughs> it's so stupid i like it so i don't have a lot to say about the music music but i will say that i really like how um they they have their sort of their first date, I guess. And he's, you know, he's got all the lines is the way the sun hits the building mm-hmm. in the afternoon. And I like to, you know, say a prayer, drink to world peace and you know, all that stuff. So he's, so he's going through <laughs> that and he's, ha- he's having some success and he's, the date's getting longer and better. And then the, the Ray Charles music comes on, uh, you don't know me that song. And then, mm-hmm. and then as soon as the, the worm turns and she starts, she suddenly is on to him. I think it's, I think what they're, we're showing us is it's inevitable that she's on, that she, like this happened. They start showing us different versions where she ends up slapping him every mm-hmm. time at the end of yeah. the date. And then they, then the orchestra is kind of playing the same song, you know, and then there's like a slap. And it just, it, the transition of the music is really nice there. I don't, I don't know if it's, there's just there's a couple of transitions that are that are just kind of perfect. I don't I don't even know. I think it's George Fenton is the guy who does the music. Yeah, has the beginning song and all that. I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. It just just said it's well done and tidy and I don't know. The uh, I think the um, the uh, Sonny and Cher song was chosen according to I think that was way back in the first script. That Danny Rubin hmm. chose it because. It was a, has repetitive lyrics, and because it's about a love story, you know. Yeah. Kind of innocuous. It's a good choice. And the music's very repetitive. Very repetitive. <laughs> I lo- Yeah, and it's, some of it's just like fantasy fulfillment. Like, who doesn't want to smash an alarm clock over and over again? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, no reason to remake it. No, Good right. for pretty Jeez. much anyone old enough with an interest in watching it. I have zero interest interest in a sequel either. No, 
Yeah. That, you know, that's, that. yeah. There's nothing more to say. Or so, do. do you think you would, but I mean, if you were a kid, would you, would you enjoy this or would, is it a, more no, adult. I think you gotta be, it's more of adult, like to, to really get it. And cause the laughs aren't, there's no slapstick stuff in there. It's very, the laughs are pretty little or su- subtle or smiles. It's not. <laughs> they it's, might laugh at the little kid that falls out of the tree. <laughs> what do you say? Right. What do you say? <laughs> You've never thanked me. No. I'll see you tomorrow. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, I, think my, I think my favorite scene is the, the, the Ned Ryerson scene. I can't remember when it is, but he, he says, um, he says, oh, I sure would love to sit here and talk to you, but I'm not gonna. And then he's like, oh, well, I'll walk with you. He says, what are you doing for dinner for tonight? And he says, something else. Something else. <laughs> it's been great seeing it's you, Needlehead. <laughs> like that, that interaction kills me. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, that original script apparently he he led with him punching out Ryerson. Hmm. Like just moments into the movie, he wakes up, does that, and then so the idea was like you're gonna try to figure out well what's he doing? Why is he so mad at that guy? What's go- what's going on? You know? Yeah. So it, it might have worked for a little bit, but I I still think you gotta have the before. Oh, I was I was thinking when when you uh, Sam you were talking about could he you know could he be meaner? Could he be? even worse at the beginning. And I think that there has to be a little bit of balance because she has to go from thinking he's a complete jerk the night before to then spending the next day with him and then coming to the realization that that was just an act or he was just being weird or something. And that he really is a good person type thing. You know, if it was, if it was too obvious, too strong, then it would kind of be silly for her to make, to change her opinion so quickly. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I also thought that even her changing her opinion felt fast um, at the end, which was it still did. Yeah. Part still of why fast. I was glad they didn't sleep together, but um, it did still <laughs> feel fast. Yeah, she bought him. It would have been prostitution. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I found so another double up. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recognize the name. I thought I recognized the name. The editor has a very funny name. Pembroke oh yeah, that's J. what it was. Herring. I forgot to tell you. Yes, I, I, I recognized it as soon as the movie yeah. started. I was like, "We just saw this name. We talked about this guy." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, what was that? April Fool's Day? No, it was nine to five. Yeah, nine I to can't five. believe that I that I forgot to mention that. And uh, one other one other thing I, I noticed I thought was kind of funny, I, I guess, and I don't really understand it. I suppose, even though it still makes me chuckle, you know, the movie marquee is always playing Heidi Two. And yes, I gotta yes. assume there's a joke there, but I for life yeah. I can't figure out what it is other than it's ridiculous that they're I guess yeah I don't know I believe yes. I've seen some of Heidi when I was a kid and and it's uh, pretty what's the word Faye or uh, pretty sweet and innocent mm-hmm. so I think that was the choice also like I was thinking like it's you know it's good that they didn't put a, a really good movie in there. Because he would have spent, you know, a few years just watching that movie. <laughs> you know, he puts the Godfather on there like, oh, he's screwed. He's never, he's never learned to play the piano. <laughs> so I think that was part of the reason it had to be a crappy movie. Yeah. So this, this is, this is why your 10,000 hours haven't been achieved at making. <laughs> it's nothing to do You're with not to having the same day over and over. It has everything ah, to do with watching this movie over and over. Yes. <laughs> oh, the irony. Yes. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, and just to follow up on the setting stuff, when they when they get stuck for because of the blizzard that he did not did not predict, the uh, the truck is smushed on the. Um, it's called the Amstutz Expressway. It's it's uh, just outside downtown Waukegan. So they really found a lot of places to. Uh, oh, it says all that was also part of the Blues Brothers. In, in yes. addition, to oh Waukegan, right, yeah, yeah, Waukegan, yep, yeah. Anyway, well, shoot. So that's why I don't. <laughs> I guess I better quit this podcast. Then. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Never. You're not going right. to me. You so want to know what next? we do next? Sure. Do it, doing yep. some serious double ups. Oh. Yeah. We're doing some serious double ups. Carl Reiner is. We're doing a movie a year, though, that we've only done once before. That's 1983. Hmm. The only other 83 movie we picked was Sleepaway Camp. (laughs) We're going to the other end of the spectrum for this movie. 83, Carl Reiner. He's the director? He is is the director and writer. Carl Reiner. Is this a Steve Martin movie? It is. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Does it have a thermos and a paddle game and a... Is it is it the jerk? No. Okay. Yes, we had those. <laughs> is it? Oh! <laughs> now you got it. Don't it's say the it. namesake of our podcast. Yes. <laughs> Holy crap! That's why I chose it. You're picking <laughs> the man with it? two brains. Yes. <laughs> wow. I was like, I have to. I'm like, we haven't yet. Everybody's waiting for it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like you named your podcast after it. Why couldn't you review the movie? <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I don't know where you can watch it. I haven't looked. You have to rent it, I think. Two ninety nine. Leaping lizards. All right. Cool. All right. <laughs> Well, I mean, we could keep doing this. We could, like, try again, record, but I, I don't know if we're going to... I think we may have nailed this it in one take. This is best podcast ever, totally. Yeah. yeah. We could do this every day for 33 years, and I don't think it would be as good as this one. Right? I mean, this, this specific movie. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, that's enough movie buff. I'm out. All right, see you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. See you next time. Peace. Am I right or am I right or am I right? Right, right, right.